0: Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. My name is Sloane Fremont and I'm your host. This is the show where we explore all the things that go on in our minds that actually maybe don't feel like it, but are the things that create our reality. And that goes for the good things and the bad things. <laughs> and today I am so excited to welcome back Lawrence Rook. Lawrence has been a guest of the show before, and I love talking with him. I wanted to have him back so we could continue our conversation and um, dig into a little bit more of, of what I talked about in the intro of the show, about what our thoughts are, how we use our thoughts, and um, are we using them in the right way? And Lawrence is the author of the book, Your Money, Your Mind, How Open Skeptical Thinking Improves Your Life and Can, Pro- and can Protect You from the Pandel- Pandemic Wealth Transfer. Lawrence, welcome back to the show.
1: Hey, Sloane. Thank you for having me. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. So why don't we start out, um, for those maybe who didn't hear our previous interview, um, can just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and the premise for your book, Your Money, Your Mind.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. So um, I've always had an interest and background in working with people. Um, I'm an alternative therapist and I've always worked with people. Um, and when I started digging in and questioning the COVID narrative, I found that so much of it could be explained through a monetary lens. Mm-hmm. And through being an alternative therapist, um, I spent years and years around very alternative people who would be very questioning, Think mm-hmm. outside the box. They'd go against the mainstream, and they'd be really aware of um, um, corruption in systems. So they'd be aware of corruption in um, government. They'd be aware of corruption in uh, healthcare. But people wouldn't really know the levels and um, intricacies of the corruption in our financial system. Yeah. And myself was included in that. And really, when I started to look into COVID, I delved into economics for the first time. Um, and i just was able to kind of unravel it in the same way that you can unravel any kind of narrative for a mainstream system and i think what i found was once you know how that system works you can then choose to sidestep it choose to be independent of it and actually choose to take control of your life your sovereignty and in this case your wealth um, and your money once you understand how that works so basically i wrote this book for alternative people who want to very simply understand how the financial system is corrupt and what they can do to protect themselves from this wealth transfer that we're experiencing.
0: Yeah. And I I know I mentioned this last time, what I loved about your book is how succinct you were. You took very complex information topics and you boiled it down into such easy to understand um, descriptions and explanations that anybody could pick this up, read the book, get a really good idea of, okay, this is what I'm concerned about right now and go off on their path and adjust, you know, correct that and then keep working until they, they have a more holistic, maybe, um, plan for their financial, um, self. And not only that, but for their, their own individual sovereignty, as you mentioned, because that to me, that's you've got to kind of get that going in your mind and understand that and really know what that means for you before you can start to work out outwards right because if you if you're still feeling inside that you belong in the system or in the matrix or you know I often call it that on the show then it's it's pro- it's going to feel weird to go out and do these quote alternative things right because you're not really bought into it yet right but when you get when you get the true understanding of what's going on and you kind of work backwards then into yourself and you can start to do things differently, think about things differently, and really you, your worldview is completely changed. Then you kind of have that understanding of, okay, this is why I can do these things. This is why I want to do these things, and this is how it's going to benefit me.
1: Yeah, 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 really well said. And uh, I completely concur with that. And um, for the intro of the book, um, I discussed these kind of philosophical things about what it means to actually be somebody who's seeking truth, somebody who wants to understand what's really going on in the world and the challenges that that poses. And really, I see it as like a spiritual quest, Mm -hmm. because seeking truth in the outside world is a process of discovery. And truth very often in our lives can be very painful. And, you know, if we find out our partner's having an affair if we find out um, a friend has lied to us, if we find out that, you know, we've been deceived or conned in any kind of way, all of these things can be truths that are actually quite painful. And for a long time, psychologically, people can live in states of denial to protect themselves from the truth. Yeah. And it's really an inward journey of sort of awakening that allows people to kind of break free of those defense mechanisms and allow them to kind of see what's really going on in their life and you know it can cause a crisis it can cause the end of a marriage it can cause the breakdown of business whatever it is and what I see going on in the outside world is the same kind of psychological process but sort of externalized there are some people who are ready to face the truth and are kind of psychologically at that place where they're able to accept it and there are some people who kind of spiritually more close to it and they're not really ready to see beyond the veil or to step out of the matrix so to speak and it's a really challenging one because of course it affects everybody but i think ultimately it's a personal journey and if there's a reason why somebody refuses to see truth it's probably for a reason that psychologically if they did see it they wouldn't even be able to handle it it would be too much for them they would lose too much So that's what the first part of my book is about. And I really wrote it for alternative people who want to understand and think about why it is that somebody close to them, somebody in their family just can't see what they can see. And then also then I supplement that with the financial side so that hopefully they can have some big benefit from being an open and sceptical thinker.
0: Yeah. And so last time we touched on both, we got into a little bit about the the spiritual side, the skeptical side, and then we um, focused on the financial side. And I wanted to have you back today to talk just about the spiritual and that skeptical, the truth, finding that piece. And so for anybody who hasn't listened to our previous episode, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. So please be sure and go back and listen to that because that was such a great interview. We had such a great conversation. Um, but today I want to start out by talking about that first part of your book about having an open and skeptical mind. And As you mentioned about truth and when you were talking about as as a person goes on this spiritual journey and all these breakdowns, what I would say also, and what I experienced was the breakdown of self, like the breakdown Mm -hmm. of what I thought to be true, realizing it wasn't realizing the layers upon layers of scams. I'll just use as a word, right. To, to summarize everything that, um, I became aware of and going i mean that's that is a terrible process to go through but a necessary one if we're going to um decide to find truth follow truth figure out what truth means to us and that breakdown of self i think i i remember getting to a point where i felt like i don't know what to believe anymore i think i even did a show on it i don't know what to believe anymore and almost like i believe nothing like i got to the bare essence of I have no belief about anything and and I went through that for a period of time um and I felt like it was necessary to do that to kind of wipe away or like have a clean slate to start believing things differently or looking at things differently and so when you when we go through this and, and the listeners are probably at varying stages of um of awakening of um maybe digging into truth um one thing when it comes to truth and, and searching and finding, it, one of the big questions that I went through was, how do I know this is true? If everything before was a lie, how do I know that this new information that I'm seeking is actually true? And how, how would you maybe answer that? Or how has that experience been for you, especially when you're researching your book?
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, I guess there are different ways in which we can come to truth. Mm -hmm. and truth can be determined in different ways. So first and foremostly, you'd have things like scientific truths, Mm -hmm. and these could be established through scientific research and peer-reviewed journals and things like this. And, of course, if the research is done properly and credibly, that would be um, arguably a source of good truth. But it's not limited to that. You can have journalistic truths, and you can have eyewitness truths Mm -hmm. you can have truths from accounts of parents you know in relation to whatever they've experienced with their child and things like this so there's many different ways in which you can research information and when it comes to finding out what's going on in the external world you need to be able to look at all sources and you need to be able to evaluate things in a fair kind of way because if one only gets hung up on scientifically reviewed um, peer published and uh, assessed papers then well what about eyewitness accounts and what about documentaries Um, and what about um, evidence outside of that kind of scientific establishment all of which can help you point to an established truth but what i would say is that truth can be established um, very Um, methodically and this is the way that i would like to determine things obviously i think as humans we've all got powers to kind of intuit things but very very simply if a narrative holds it should be built from the bottom up Mm
0: -hmm. so it should be
1: built from the bottom up with facts not from the top down and i think covid is a complete example of how the narrative and what's been going on is being given to us from top down but when you examine the facts, they don't add up. Right. So science, facts and a narrative fundamentally should be built from the bottom up. And if we build things from the bottom up, forget the narrative, forget the ideology, forget the story. Let's just look at the facts, what we, can, what we know, then we can assess and um, develop uh, a bigger picture.
0: Yeah, and and with that too I think there's also the personal experience or the personal truths that we may have happen in any given situation, right? If somebody's telling you that um you know bodies are dropping in every city in America and you look outside and everybody's running and healthy and you know happy and having a great time, then you may want to question the source of that information, right? But the I, and that's what I did a lot through when all this started was you know, I would look around and what's my experience with this? Like, I'm hearing this, I'm seeing this, like, am I just getting like a narrow view from, um, you know, somebody who's trying to promote fear? Am I just getting, um, you know, somebody trying to sell me something, right? The sensationalism to get me in in fear to buy whatever product they're trying to sell. But one thing that I've noticed over the past, you know, several months is seeing people searching for truth as we all are. Right. And everybody wants to know and understand, and there's a lot of information out there, but even in the so-called, you know, I would say the alternative media, right. These, these people that started um, maybe with one intent in mind, but over time have grown into questionable sources themselves as, as uh, alternative media people. And what I see a lot is people flocking to alternative media and assuming because, the mainstream media is false, then that means that the alternative media should be true. And I think that is a very dangerous path to go down. I think it's very, um, there's a lot of things going on there too, that if you look at that, those things, and you think intuitively, see what it feels like to you, um, you can see some of the falsities in that too. And I, I just find it really interesting that we have like this one or the other belief often, right? It's easy to fall into that. Well, if one is true, then the other must be false. Or if one is false, the other must be true. And I don't, that, that to me doesn't feel right either.
1: Mm, It's very dualistic, isn't it? Yeah. Very binary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think people need to, as you say, be aware and kind of check themselves because ultimately I think this is all a spiritual progress a a spiritual process and as a spiritual process it's perhaps best not to see it in terms of sides or in division
0: because
1: then you instantly fall into um, somewhat of a tribalistic mindset Um, you fall into a good and bad mindset a kind of enemy and then the anger starts to come right um yeah you want to be able to discern and kind of rise above those kind of polarized narratives because if we are polarized of course it means that people can divide and rule so to speak yeah
0: yeah yeah and it's i, I know for myself and i think a lot of people we were all looking for this like where do i belong now right my whole everything fell apart and everything i thought was real or i thought i felt maybe security in or i felt like these were my people now i don't know who my people are anymore so where do i belong right do i belong over here with this group or do i belong over here with that group and um i went through a lot of that myself like feeling very much like lost at sea like i don't know but then i as i as i went experienced this more and i went through um you know everything that we all went through i I started to realize that I'm not like, I don't have to necessarily belong to one group. Like I get information from a lot of different groups, but I don't really call myself part of any group anymore. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm taking pieces of what makes sense to me. You know, I used to say it on the show all the time, take what works for you and leave the rest. Right. Because Mm -hmm. in um, and I really meant that, right. Take what I'm saying that works for you, but if it doesn't resonate with you, or if it doesn't work for you, then, you know, leave it on the table and move on to the next thing. And I find that, you know, it's really easy, especially when you think about that duality or those polars that are often encouraged that when like, maybe you have somebody that you, uh, that you feel like you can trust and you, um, get information from them. Um, you know, if they say one thing that you don't agree with, then it's very easy to dismiss that person and be like, well, all their information is is wrong. That, you know, but what I've started to do and I found very beneficial in this, this process of seeking truth and deciding what truth is for me is if, even if I don't agree with somebody on something, I can, I understand their their side of it and I can see why, you know, maybe why they think that or what they, what they use as their supporting evidence. But then I'm not so much like dismissing people just because we're not a hundred percent in agreement all the time on everything anymore. I'm, I'm getting, taking those bits and pieces from people. And with that creating like the, what I feel like is, is, um, information or, you know, I'm, I'm doing things that are supporting me. Whereas in the past, you know, I was doing things that I felt like were consuming me or driving me down because I was always seeking or always looking or wanting, you know, the information from this person or that person. And, um, I, I even said to one of my friends, I I'm I'm never going to be satisfied with the answers that I'm getting. So Mm. it's time for me to go, you know, figure like for me, what does this mean for me? And that has been very helpful in this to be able to, um, take what works and leave the rest really that that's how I would summarize it Mm,
1: yeah yeah so so many different thoughts I had when you're speaking there um, about really interesting areas so in terms of this letting go process that you sort of speak about I mean that's such a a universal kind of occurrence and it absolutely is it's kind of letting go of a literal identity and it's it's letting go of an ego because what happens is that people form their identity based on structures that they know in the external world. So if somebody is a um, a, a successful banker, for example, they're going to have um, beliefs about the banking system and beliefs about the company they're working for, which then reflect who they are, and they can feel good about their identity because they understand and trust the so-called systems or whatever it is around them. And those things are all in place. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same as somebody's married to um, a woman for thirty years or something. They've got two kids. They know who they are in relation to that, and the woman is um, somebody who they know and represents their past and their future, etc. Then when a conspiracy happens or some truth comes in and uh, the narrative breaks down all of a sudden that person who's working in the bank realizes that their boss is completely corrupt and uh, the company they're working for doesn't have any ethics and all of a sudden they lose their sense of identity because their external world is kind of collapsing exactly the same as the person in the marriage they find out their wife isn't who they thought they are they lose their past Because all of those family holidays that don't mean anything anymore because she's been cheating on him for however many years. He loses his future. And all of a sudden, that is an existential crisis. And what happens with something like COVID, when people start to see through it, it creates this existential crisis because the world they knew isn't there anymore. And therefore, they are not the same because who are they in relation to this new world? It's like being dropped in the middle of a different planet nobody knows you anymore and everything has to be relearned yes so it's a very scary process and it can be a very scary process but what i would say is that if you actually learn to love that process and see it as being a very freeing very liberating thing where you get to shed the old you and you get to kind of have a rebirth kind of all the time um it's incredibly it's incredibly fulfilling um What did you mention after that? You were talking about.
0: um, Um, Well, we were talking about, you know, where do I belong? And then I was talking about. Yeah, where do I belong? Yeah. And the polarizing of feeling like everyone has to 100% be on. you know, we have to.
1: Yeah. Believe
0: everybody 100%, you know, and take what works and leave the rest.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Take what works and leave the rest. Yeah. Which is a really good phrase. So what people tend to do, and this is a human um, universal again, is they tend to externalize their identity onto other people who represent things that they would like to have. So they might see a sports star and that would, for them, represent the alpha male, the masculine, um, the successful, the rich. So therefore they idolize that and they want to be that because that person represents all of those virtues that they want. And what we tend to do is we tend to kind of, negate our own power our own kind of like spiritual um truth and just follow other people and idolize other people and we do that with everyone you know Um, society idolizes doctors they idolize experts they idolize this that and the other and so what you're saying is that by taking little snippets from people being discerning with information and not taking it from one kind of, you know, Demi figure guru,
0: right? Yes.
1: Guru. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, or celebrity or whoever it is, right. you're then able to come to your own assumptions yeah. and you're able to kind of be discerning with information. And again, just in relation to truth, I, I think something that is so, so powerful and so, so important is to always check one's own assumptions because yeah. there's so much in everyone's thinking, of course, my own included, where I will have a belief which I will then build up a lot of um other narratives and other worldviews off of. But what happens is actually, if you go to that belief and you question that assumption, you might find it standing on nothing, yeah. and then another level disappears yeah. and i think um you know a good example of that would be um actually questioning and looking into germ theory itself yes so germ theory would be an assumption of our societies everybody yes. believes in germs everybody um has been taught that word ever since they were two years old right and actually when you go and question you know what actually is a germ you know where does a germ come from does a germ come from the soil Or does a germ come from something, you know, you know, where, what actually is it, then um, it then opens the door to another kind of uh, expansive learning and uh, growing space.
0: Yes, especially as that germ theory versus terrain theory. So maybe some of the listeners have heard of this or explored it, and I'm no expert in this topic, but um, it's that difference of something's attacking me from the outside coming in versus I have things going in on, in my body as a result of the food that I eat, the stress that I'm under, the thoughts that I think, right? And the more I layers for me as have peeled away, um, the more that I go back to the belief, the, the, the understanding, like, and it's almost like laughable now to me, but everything starts with us, no matter what it is, it all comes from inside and, and that goes for everything. And, um, as i you know, I'm, as I, I was doing the dishes the other day and I'm thinking about this and I just started laughing about it because I'm like, how much more obvious could it be now? Right. When all these years, you know, living with these blinders on and like flailing through life. Right. And now I'm like, man, like, could it be any more obvious? And it's easy to laugh and smile about it now. And i going through it the past two and a half years was not easy and not, I was definitely not smiling, but I think the, um, what you're talking about with those assumptions and feeling these layer or these beliefs drop out. It kind of feels like a dropping out from under you almost. And it's like, well, damn, I thought I believed that, but that isn't true anymore. It requires a lot of rethinking of things and the willingness and the energy to rethink those things. Those so simple things that you used to do, right? Like um, go to the doctor for certain procedures or things, right? Is And when you start to look at some of this stuff, it's like, is that really what I should be doing? I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously not giving any medical advice here, but there's, there's some rethinking that happens that, um, can be exhausting at first, but then it, like you're saying, it's very freeing. It's very much a, um, to me, it's like shedding. I think you said like shedding these layers of these old beliefs that kept us in these states of fear, anxiety. Um, and, and even like, the constant seeking of more information. Like, I feel like I wasted a lot of time seeking information that I now see was unnecessary to seek because it didn't matter in the end. Right. It's as I've continued to go through this process and relearn things, I'm like, well, that doesn't even matter anyway because my belief stops at the beginning of what they're trying to say. So I don't have to go look for these other things because I know the, the foundational thing that they're trying to say is a lie. So it doesn't even cause yeah. me to have to go think about these other things. And I save my energy.
1: It makes um, it makes discerning truth, actually, to go back to that first point, actually a lot simpler mm-hmm. when you go to the very foundational assumption that it's all built on. And if you pull the carpet out from under germ theory, then how much how much time and energy do you save? Right. The other things And money, <laughs> for example. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So and- yeah. It's important to be really stringent um, with your thinking.
0: Yeah. And taking it all back to what we were saying about it it all starts within. So then think about that from there. Okay. We were spending a lot of our time and energy on all this stuff outside of us. Right. But if we start to think about everything happens within and, and see this on a different level, when we're talking about, um, germ theory versus terrain theory versus, um, any other thing that you want to think about in your life, then you start to readjust your, okay. So I'm not spending my money, for example, over here on X, item. So that means I have more money to spend on maybe healthy food, right? I'm eating more things that are good for me. I'm spending more energy and time on um things that are good for me that are within my control instead of sitting for hours scrolling on Telegram reading doom and gloom, you know, sensationalized alternative news. There's no value in that. There's no value. There's no value to know And half the stuff will be irrelevant in a day or two anyway, because it's going to, there's going to be a different spin on it or a different story. Right. And so we don't always have to be up to date on all of these stories that are being spun, right. To have a general understanding of of what the the tone is or, or what people are saying. Okay, that's fine. But then you know, why not use our energy for those things that we can control and and what we can take care of? Um, That's something I've really been focusing on because it feels very easy to get into that victim state or there's nothing I can do about it. And, you know, all these things happening, but you do have your own span of control and it starts with what you focus on.
1: I think you're so right. Yeah. And it can be Um, addictive I would say um, from somebody who's been interested in following alternative needs for years you know you can really get caught up with the everyday and as you say following telegram and stuff but understanding that it all comes from within um, is so important and in our society um, that's not given credence at all I think we live very much in like a collectivist era where the individual isn't really given as much power, um, um, autonomy, or sort of freedom as I think it deserves. And everything that we have is kind of currently politically looked at with a collectivist mentality. So people are talked about and defined by their groups, they're talked about and defined by their race, um, or by their gender, or by, you know, whatever it is, and everything's kind of talked about in groups and what that does is it diminishes the individual it diminishes the power of the individual and we're kind of taught to think that the way in which kind of we affect things is by having these different groups that are kind of warring with each other when the reality is you know everything does come from within and if we all focus on self-cultivation and ways in which we can transform and manifest our life and kind of vote with our life, vote with our behavior for what we want, that's the way the world is going to change. And that's the way in which, you know, exponential progress is going to be made for everyone. And I think once you have an understanding, a deep understanding of what's really going on and you've done that work, you know, you've gone to your assumptions, you've checked them and you've got the narrative, then you don't need to be scrolling through telegram constantly. Right. Uh, every day you know <laughs> you can now use that information to make your life better yeah. and that's what has to happen it's like there's no point in me spending a year and a half researching the financial system if it doesn't benefit me or if you just and... sit
0: there and continue to research it and be angry exactly
1: about yeah because it. Um... it just festers right. um, more disempowerment and right. I think um, part of this whole kind of um, new world order type thing is built on the fact that these people are all powerful. And of course, you know, they're really not. You know, we're the ones um, with power.
0: Like what you hear so far? Take what you've learned and invest in yourself with the Create What You Speak Academy. Visit createwhatyouspeak.com to learn more. Now back to the show.
1: To sort of give an example from my own life, you know, when I sort of figured out what was going on with this whole COVID situation, um, me and my family moved to the countryside and we swapped our house in the city for a smaller cottage, but with lots and lots of land. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to then become self-sufficient, build a community and try to live in a much more kind of like rural, um, natural, kind of um, organic way, making connections from the grassroots, which is exactly what they were trying to stop with all the lockdowns and things. And... By putting my energy into something very positive and putting it into something that's creative, um, you know, I can then kind of manifest the kind of world that we would all want. And that's absolutely what people had to start doing.
0: Right, and I think what you were talking about with the the alternative news and like I mentioned the scrolling, I mean those dopamine hits that you get from that, right? They know that they know that it's the same as mainstream media that you try to. There's no difference here. And I've often said, you know, you know, people say that they don't want COVID to end, like the the side that supports various things, but I think the other side doesn't want it to end either because they're equally as bought in. They're making money in various ways, and they're getting content out there that are getting you know people are consuming. But I think that the, the I mean, and talk- their
1: identities are invested in it as well. Right, it's right. Like they have in. built yes. up a very strong identity of "I am anti-this. I don't believe that. This yes. is how it is, and I am going to fight to the death." Yes. And you know, I mean, I think it's admirable in many ways, but they need to be able to let it go and transcend it when needed.
0: Right, and and that's you don't grow by staying in that same place of hate and rage and whatever, you know, people have been through, um, feeling with this. But I think when, when you were mentioning about having people warring with each other, right? Like, like on that, those dualities and, um, well, this group, you know, I'm, I identify with this group and, and this is what's happening to them or, you know, two sides are at war or whatever. When, when we're constantly having our energy, um, chasing that or keeping up with it or fighting against it, that, subtracts our energy from being able to do the productive things like you were talking about with moving and creating that life that you want, that more natural life that, that is sustaining for you. And I think being able to put the energy into those things that are, Beneficial for us, even understanding when um maybe you have situations where people are draining the energy from you, right? And take sucking the life out of you, right? Because they're wanting to maybe trauma dump on you because they're still pissed about whatever is going on in the world, right? Like we have to be able to put boundaries around that and be able to really conserve our energy in a way that benefits us because nobody's going to come here and knock on your door and say, today's the day everything's okay. And you get to live like you want to, right? Because we live in a world where we're not, (laughs) this is the world, right? Where it's, it's differences night and day throughout the world, right? We have variety, right? That's what the world is. We don't want to live in this vanilla world where everybody thinks the same, like a robot, right? Like that's what I think most people are against. So nobody's going to knock on your door and say, everything's clear, come out and start living your life, right? Today is the day you live your life, right? You get out there, you start doing these things that are beneficial to you. Yes. All this other shit is going on. It's still happening. It's enraging. It's saddening. It's all these things, but what control do you have over it? And if your answer is no to that, then why not start focusing on these things that you do have the control over that you can make a difference in and that do support from the, from the, um, from the inside out, right. You start with it with within and start eating healthier, you know, getting exercise. Those are two very controllable things that you can do and getting more sleep, right. That would be another one. And so I, I think this, um, this reminder of that, of, and that's one thing that I really try, have tried on my telegram channel and on my social media and on the show. I don't want to be a doom and gloom person that comes on here and just repeat, repair it to what other sites have said about the terrible things going on. Right. I want the show to be about solutions. That's what I want to be able to offer to people. I want to be able to remind people of the things that I also need to be reminded of, <laughs> of focusing on what I can control. And so I think this, um, This this being able to put your energy in places that benefit you instead of letting energy get sucked out of you, maybe in ways you don't even notice, is such a huge shift that most people would benefit from um, if they had the awareness and paid attention to it.
1: Mm, Yeah. Absolutely.
0: That was a little soapbox moment there, but (laughs) no, totally, totally. Again,
1: you know, there's there's so much interesting stuff to um to sort of comment on and, and kind of continue with. I think um, I think well, okay. So, firstly, the the kind of analogy I, I would think about is um, if somebody had um, you know uh, a kind of a traumatic event that happened to them, or they were angry maybe with their parents because they didn't feel they treated them right when they were growing up or something. As an adult, you have the ability to reflect on that, acknowledge that it wasn't um, what you would have wanted, but then you choose how to act. And if you acknowledge that traumatic process and you choose to act in a way that benefits you now as an adult in the future, you've just grown massively right. because you've just experienced something and you've risen above it and acknowledged it, felt it. And when it comes to your own children, you know because you've acknowledged it, you're not going to repeat the same mistake.
0: Right, you let go of that generational trauma that a lot of people totally. experience without even understanding that that's what it is.
1: Yeah. And you have to be able to grow from it and learn from it. That's the key thing from it. It's no good just acknowledging that um, your dad was a workaholic and he didn't emotionally connect with you. But then you just do the same with your child. You need to be wise. You need to be able to acknowledge it and be really conscious and then step out and break that pattern. Yeah, And I would see it as being very similar with the outside world. You know, we can all point fingers at traumatic events that are going on in the outside world that affect us in the same way we can all point fingers at our parents and say, look, that affected us. But the question is, is how are we now as conscious, sovereign, independent adults choosing to deal with those things? And it's how we deal with them, which then determines how we grow. And, um, you know, there's a, there, there's a concept in psychology called post-traumatic growth. And it essentially is when something bad happens to us and we learn and grow from that yeah. experience. And nobody really in their life would say, right, I want to fall in love and have a really hard breakup so that I learn. But, you know, everybody actually who falls in love and has a really hard breakup and learns after it will very often look back and say, that was the most important experience I've ever had. Right. And if you look back in your life, generally people will say, the most traumatic and difficult times are very often the ones that they grow and learn from the most and they wouldn't trade for anything else and it's exactly the same with what's going on in the outer world we need to be able to see this as a traumatic time but that trauma and the harshness of that reality points us in what we should be doing and where we should be going yeah because we don't want that so this is what we now want
0: Yes. If we let it right. If we can stay in the trauma and we can stay in the anger, the rage about it, but those experiences, like you talk about, um, that's what I found. It pushes me in that direction. It pushes me in a way that I needed to go that I already knew I needed to go, but I just wasn't taking the action on. Right. And I know a lot of people experienced that with jobs when they lost their, their jobs because they wouldn't get the vaccine. And, many people that i talked to and just read stories about were like it's the best thing that ever happened to me but that lead up to it the resistance to it you know all this stuff that we we don't want to feel um once we let that go i've often said the resistance is just the worst part of it if we just feel it and get through it it's so much easier and better than actually what we put ourselves through with resisting it
1: yeah completely completely and it's like as people I think we all find it actually really hard to know how to make ourselves happy and what we really want. So an example of this is that me and my wife, um, we would always do a lot of traveling and we would spend a lot of time in India, we spend a lot of time in Portugal and we would go away quite a lot every year and um, because I wouldn't get the vaccine, um, I let my passport expire. And I said to myself, that's fine, I'm not going to travel for, you know, whatever I said five yeah. years in my head, because I didn't know how long it's going to last. But I, 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 I went with that. And I never thought that would make me happy. Because I love traveling. But yeah. as soon as I let go of it, I now feel so much more at peace, because the option for traveling was closed. So therefore, I could get on with my life in the UK. I didn't have to moan about the weather because this is just what it was. Whereas if I had the option to go abroad, that's always going to be niggling on me. So it's just a small example of how we don't really know what's good for us. And it's very hard for us to predict what we're going to grow from, what's going to make us happy and what we actually need in life. You know, life is so much more uh, wise than we are. Right. The universe is smarter than that.
0: Yes. And I love what you just said there about how we, we can't predict what we're going to go from, grow from, because I had a very similar experience. I mean, I used to travel, um, for my job every week in the U S and then, um, I traveled even after that um, several times a month, right? I was on a plane very regularly and working remotely, I could do that. And um, I refused to wear the mask. And so I wasn't flying on any planes. And at first that was just, I just was just like you. I was just resisting. I just was so mad and upset and all these various things. And then when I let it go, I realized, man, how often was I traveling just to run from things, right? Run from feelings, like keep my emotion, like keep my mind busy or feel like I had to travel to... I was missing out on something, whatever the reason was. Right, I realized all these things for why I was doing it. And now when I travel, I'm like, it's fine. It's great. I like, you know, I'll drive somewhere. It's fine. But I'm not, um, it doesn't have that same pull like it used to, because I'm not trying to escape. That was how I used it that I know in my life. I used it as an escape from things I didn't want to deal with. Right. I didn't want to deal with maybe being at home alone or being like, whatever it was right so that was very interesting to me as well with the travel because it felt the same but then so much that i learned from that of what i was doing as a like a coping mechanism maybe
1: mm, yeah and it's, it's really insightful and it's such a good example isn't it Yeah, of how you know uh when you let that resistance go and basically put your morals as the number one thing yeah then things fall into place after and you know Anyone who's made sacrifices um, because of their morals and because of, you know, what they value to be the most important thing. I mean, I think that's just so um, fantastic and um, respectable because I think people generally don't think about their, their morals enough. And in terms of their values, I don't think people place their morals highly enough. In terms of values, I think people would very often put money or status or their ego, essentially, as the most important thing. Hence why they will sometimes lie or they'll cheat or they'll go along with something, even though they know it to be wrong, because they want to preserve their money, status, ego, whatever it is. Yeah. But when you make your morals the number one value on your kind of hierarchy, then everything else falls into place because then you just don't compromise your morals and then no matter what happens you can hold your head up incredibly high and really is there anything worth sacrificing your morals for because you know money or fame or status all of those things are transitory and if you sacrifice your morals for any of those things or a career or whatever or a marriage even then it's like well, what happens when that ends? Then where are your morals now? And it's kind of like all we've got is the person that we are. All we've got ultimately is our integrity. So that for me needs to be our defining feature and what we lead through life with.
0: Yeah. And I think what you're saying about sacrificing our morals, even if we sacrifice that doesn't guarantee if we sacrifice our morals, that doesn't even guarantee us we're going to get the thing that we want. Right. So we yeah. may sacrifice our morals and not even end up getting the thing we chase after. And then what are you left yeah. at? Right. you're What, what are you yeah. left with? You left with yourself. And you have two chapters in your book, one about value systems and philosophy, and then another one about ideology, beliefs and worship. And you, in the one about um, value systems and philosophy, you talk about how what people value the most dictates their actions and their direction in life. And what dictates their value system is their underlying philosophy. And so. I think that's something also that when we think about morals and what we, what we, why we do what we do, reminding ourselves, maybe revisiting this topic with ourselves, like, is my morals still what they, do I still believe the same thing I used to? Do I still have the same personal philosophy that I used to? Um, Those are the questions I found my, you know, I asked myself during all this. And I think revisiting that every once in a while is such a great way to see how far you've grown and also get in touch with yourself to make sure that your actions are in alignment with that
1: so it's it's so important yeah and how many people do you think would say that um just kind of casually that their driving force would be i want to do good in the world they would say that i think most people people would would say that yes yeah and then it's like well how true is that and how stringent is that and how much would they be willing for example to question their job for that so you know most people working let's take an example in in uh, the medical profession would probably say um i really want to do good in the world that's my number one thing right people that work in um in lots of different fields you know might say that but then what happens if you presented them with evidence hard evidence that directly showed that what they were doing professionally might be having a negative impact on the world you know how many of those people would actually want to acknowledge it right. and absorb it and change it and Or how many it. of them would want to bury it yeah and as soon as they want to bury it you know that their sort of highest principle isn't to make the world a better place their highest principle is to maintain their status or yeah. to maintain their income or to maintain their, their ego in relation to what it is they're doing. Or not so, make waves, right? um,
0: Not make waves or not, you know, call attention. Exactly. To people, like, just let me fly in exactly. the car and do my thing and leave me alone. Right. That's yeah,
1: totally, totally. So really better. it's like, you know, if, if people say, if people say anything, and if people kind of say to themselves, I want to change the world for the better. And they kind of just parrot that and they kind of just say it. If they haven't really thought about it, if they don't know what their underlying philosophy is, if they don't know really where that's coming from, then they might not be doing good in the world. Um, they might actually be leading it towards a place that um, isn't so savory.
0: Yeah, or they're participating in the very thing that they're saying they they don't believe in, right? And there, exactly. Yeah, I mean, in, in and that goes along with this chapter on ideology and beliefs and worship. And you you say that people would rather die than change their belief or ideology. And that is so true. I mean, you see examples of that all the time. I mean, people just won't let things go. And it's so interesting to me about how when you see somebody who's very um, bought into one side of things, maybe, and, and you believe the opposite, and then you see, and you see how you react to, you know, to what they're saying, what they're doing. But then when somebody who doesn't believe what you do, when they like, consider your point of view. It's so interesting to me to see the polar opposites of points of view, because often people have the same common ground. They often have the same common ground. They may just not agree on, you know, the approach or the direction or whatever, but everybody has the 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 belief that they're right, their their way is right, and their way is going to save people, protect people, make it better, whatever it might be. And but we're on opposite ends of the stick on the topic, right? And you think about that in this this belief that, you know, nobody's going to wave a wand over the world and get those people on the polar opposite of the ends of the stick to then come together and decide one or the other, right? And I used to say this to one of my friends because she would talk about, and I'm not on Facebook and haven't been for a year or more, but my friend would talk about people arguing on Facebook, which is another energy waster and time drainer and all these other things, but I I would say who comes to Facebook to get their mind changed, right? Nobody, they come there to argue their point, right? And it's the same with like any social media, right? We're not out here trying to, "Hmm, let me check Twitter today and see if I can get my mind changed, right? You're not doing that, right? And so, which side topic is such a waste of energy and time. But if you think about the differences in beliefs and how far off sometimes people are and these Bought How far people are bought in. And I think you even touched on that in your book about, you know, maybe doctors who are very knowledgeable, maybe in one area, but so bought into it because they spent so many years, so much time, so much money, you know, getting bought into it. Right. And I think realizing that or seeing that also helps in the energy wasting category, right? Because then you can see, it's just not, it's simply not worth your time to have those kinds of conversations. And what I found also in that approach is I'm very often don't encounter people where I would have that conversation. I'm more encountering people who are not that I want to only talk to people who believe in me, but I'm not being, you know, I'm not attracting or being around the the ones that are very radical and want to just scream it in your face all the time.
1: (laughs) Mm, yeah completely it's a funny one when people engage constantly like you say in social media yeah nobody's coming in there to have their mind changed nobody right. goes onto Facebook and then comes out kind of thinking like oh yeah wow you know <laughs> how could I have been how could I have been so silly right. but I think what it does is it's, it's it's a way of reaffirming again that identity people are always looking to reaffirm their sense of yes. um, who they are and essentially reaffirm their ego and what these groups provide and Facebook and et cetera are just complete reassurance of who they are, who they are, who they are, and it's you know, it's creating a strong affiliation with that identity um and the reason why i you know um i I said in the book that um people would rather die than change their ideology is kind of because sort of esoterically changing their ideology and a physical death are kind of the same thing because they're both yeah. a complete death of the ego yeah. and you know when you die you let go of your identity you know you, you are no longer I am no longer Lawrence Rook when I die you know that label that kind of character I'm playing in this life um dissolves you know right. and then I would go back into expanded consciousness or something or, or whatever people's belief is right um and of course if we take that doctor as, as an example, that doctor who's spent you know all of his money working through the system, um, competing in that system, striving to be in that system, and then finally getting acceptance within that medical system, for him then to come across a piece of information or information that kind of um, negates everything he's just been doing, all the blood, sweat and tears and all the money he's put in for the last five years, that is a type of death. It's a yeah. death of an identity, death. Yeah. Of an ego and so people viscerally reject it and you know they would attack something in the same way that they would attack someone trying to uh kill them in some kind of yeah. ways yes. because that they are defending their very existence when they're defending their cherished cherished assumptions it's what i would call them
0: yeah and think about that with people who that I even think prior to COVID, think about changes in your life, right? As you grow up through your life, right? We have, we go through these phases where we're, you know, we are, um, maybe we go from being in high school to college, right? And that's a, hmm. a almost a, that's an identity change right there. Right. Or you go yeah. from like being a single person to a married person, right? That's an identity or, a, uh, not having kids to being a parent, right? We, we go through these, um, kinds of changes in these identity, yeah. these, maybe not as extreme, but those kinds of things are, are a natural progression in life. And one thing I realized through all the work that I've done over the years is that, um, I often treated change as if it was something wrong. Like I was doing something Mm. wrong. Like if I changed my mind, oh my God, why are you changing your mind? You, You believe this? Like what? Like, so there was like these, um, these little deaths within even little decisions that I had made or or changes that I, in my beliefs or how maybe I approached the show or, you know, whatever. And, and these changes, these, I, it's easy to fear them, but that's how we get to that place of what we say that we want, right? You don't stay the single person forever. If you want, if you, if your goal is to be married, right? You don't stay single and complain about being alone all the time. If, you have an opportunity to get married and then you say no, right? Like you have to go through the change to get to the thing that you want. And sometimes it can be scary. It can be all these different emotions, but that doesn't make it wrong. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's part of the process and and changing is um, like I said, it's easy to fear it, but it's the positive part of the step that gets you going in that direction that you say you want to go.
1: Yeah. And it reminds me of um, you talking about resistance earlier. Yeah. Whereby you know it's, it's not the change that's ever hard; it's the resistance to the change yeah. that's hard. Um, and I guess in our society, you know, maybe we don't have um, a kind of um, a kind of a deep-rooted belief and trust in change, and yeah. maybe we don't acknowledge how important change is. I mean, we certainly don't deal with death appropriately. I don't think in our society, and yeah. you know, that's just a change um so yeah we should celebrate change like genuinely celebrate change as um, always a time for shedding and um, allowing the new in and the new growth because we never want to get too attached to any belief any ideology um, or any identity this is a key thing Um, if we attach too strongly to an identity then we become fixed and rigid and then when change occurs, we resist it because we're yeah. clinging on to whatever identity that is, be it an identity in a job, um, a role in a family, um, I'm married, I'm a father, whatever the identity is, um, that's all just, you know, part of a play is yeah. how we need to see it. And uh, we need to be able to step far back from it and just see it as part of the flow.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, unfortunately we're coming up on our time. This, this went really fast. So, um, well, I'll get ready to wrap up here, but before I do, I wanted to leave the listeners with a, probably one of the, my favorite line in your book. Um, it's at the beginning and you, when you're writing about, um, the forward to the book, but you say power is always with the individual and the people, and we always have choices and ways to improve our lives. And I just wanted to leave that everyone with that thought today as a, as a reminder, as a, um, you know, if you're hearing this, if you've been feeling like you don't have control over things, um, power is always with the individual and the people. We always have choices and ways to improve our lives. So what can you do today to start improving your life? I think that I, I love this sentence. So I wanted to end with that today.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really meaningful. Thank you.
0: Lawrence, thank you again for joining us today. Um, Lawrence is the author of Your Money, Your Mind, and we've been talking all kinds of things today. I'm not even sure what I'm going to call this episode because we, we've went <laughs> so many ways today, but this was such yeah. an amazing conversation. I'm so glad you came back to talk with us.
1: Yeah, no, it's been great to be here. And um, yeah, always, always great to talk.
0: Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find out more about you and your book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my website is laurencerook.com and my book can be found on all online bookstores.
0: Okay, awesome. I'll link to that in the show notes so the listeners can find that. And you've been listening to the Create What You Speak podcast brought to you by webtalkradio.net. You can also hear the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite podcasting platform. I'm Sloan Fremont, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Create What You Speak podcast, where we will continue to free our minds, expand our consciousness, and untangle those thoughts and patterns that keep us from living the life we desire. Check out my website, sloanfremont.com, to learn more.